you ready to get started with uh, five weeks of fright? This is Nurse with Wound. This is what the music in uh, Dark Dream sounds like to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, are we recording? Uh, yes. Do we have to take out that unlicensed sample of uh, Nurse with Wound? Um, no. It probably didn't get picked up very well. Probably not, no. That's okay. Uh, I'm ready for five weeks of fright. Excellent. Welcome back, boils and ghouls. Are you just now hitting record? No, I was turning down your volume because you were blowing it out. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) What about your catchphrase? I have a bunch. Oh. Just do it. That wasn't the one I was looking for. Oh. Bona beware. You're in for a scare. That was the one I was looking yeah, for. That's a good one. and I, did, I delivered it perfectly. <laughs> Just like uh, Christopher Lee. Yeah, you're the Christopher Lee of our podcast for sure. Uh-huh. I've got his... Uh, what does he have? Um, what makes you know it's Christopher Lee? Poise and Charisma. No, not poise. I'm not sure about charisma either. More like uh, more like the Peter Laurie of the podcast. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I'm a little mutant. You're a little mutant man? I'm a little mutant man. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, here on the Raincoat Report, um, no one asked for it, but we did it anyway. <laughs> um, it's five weeks of fright. Uh, we are... By the time you'll be hearing this, it'll be September 30th, so not quite October, but uh, close enough to the season to jump on in. Yeah, jump in to the terror. Yeah, um, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna ease you in pretty gently, start yes. things off with, um, and ramp up the horror until you cannot stop screaming by the time Halloween rolls around. Yes, you will certainly be institutionalized by your family members because you've become completely incoherent and uh, unable to continue your life in Mm. the normal sense of the word. Yes. Um, If all goes well, you will be scared stiff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, welcome once again to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Hello. And uh, we're happy to begin our... uh, October, you know, September 30th, but we'll say October, October stretch s- of shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, like like we were saying before, it's five weeks of fright. Yeah. Boners beware, you're in for a scare. I'm pretty uh, pretty pumped on it. I like themes in general. Yeah. We've kind of, we haven't really hit on any of those um, yet, just because as we've been getting into the groove of uh, recording the show and just kind of bouncing around just trying to get uh, a little bit of variety in in terms of uh the films we've covered but right it'll be the 14th or the 13th episode 14th this will be episode 14 cafe flush is the 13th and it's not as frightening but still a spooky number yeah you know Um, it's a kind of a kind of a a slight little little taste of the fright but we're gonna we're gonna dip our toes in for real this week Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, by a couple weeks down the line, we'll be balls deep. So, uh, what does the Halloween season mean to you, Jeremy? Um, geez. 
What does the Halloween season mean to me, Jeremy? <laughs> to me, you know, it's always kind of just been my favorite holiday, but I was just kind of like, I was always the weird kid anyway. Right. Like, uh, I would like go to the library and like check out like books about like old horror movies and read those kind of things. And I would carry up. I didn't have any friends, so, like, during recess, I would carry my, like, Dungeons & Dragons monster manual around and just read about <laughs> monsters. Right. So, uh, it's a time when everyone else gets on my level, basically, and for at least 31 days, I connect with the world in a way I don't the rest of the year. Well, hey, yeah. you know, that's something. So, this terror fills the air <laughs> with the scent of fear. Excellent. Um, which you know i've always enjoy it uh i try to watch usually like a horror movie a day in october which sometimes works out usually i kind of get around the 15th i'm like i gotta watch something else or just skip a couple days but uh i try yeah it, it's you know it's like so i was raised catholic so it's kind of like lent but scarier <laughs> um where i don't give anything up i just indulge in the world of fear uh normally that's you know uh just any old horror movie but you know since we're doing a porn podcast we're zeroing in on uh kind of a, a little subgenre of porn where they try to uh mix it up with uh horror films yeah um that's yeah what's it what's it mean to you what do you mean um you know, I think that it's a it's a fun time of the year for a lot of reasons. Uh, I feel like you touched on a lot of it, but just it's it's the time of the year where everybody gets that little bit of spooky spirit in them, mm -hmm. uh, and that that helps out. You know, even uh, the TV channels are playing horror movies. Yeah. The uh, women are trying to dress up as scary, scary erotic, scary sluts. yeah, scary You're sluts. Scary sluts. Uh -huh. <laughs> Um, you know, that's always a, a fun time, but... Uh, Prosta spooks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's all good stuff, but I think that us having this uh, this platform now, it's important for us to be able to share both the scares and the eroticism, and uh, I think that we're going to be able to do that this year with our five weeks of fright. All right. So uh, what's up first? Well... This week, we're going to talk about Dark Dreams. Okay. Dark Dreams is a 1971 production, so it's worth mentioning that this is in the early days of hardcore pornography, so right. it's not uh, quite the level of a production of a Cafe Flesh like we talked about last week. Right. It's more probably on the level of some of the earlier stuff we talked about, like um, Alter of Flesh or an Act of Confession. Right. Though there is hardcore sex in it, so... Right. Uh, but I, I do think that in a lot of ways we're still in an era where people are kind of figuring stuff out. Right. Uh, but there's definitely some stuff uh, worth mentioning here. You know, one thing that's uh, important is uh, this includes the a performance by the teacher, Harry Reams. Yes, a pre-mustache Harry Reams. Uh, yes, our, our beautiful pre-mustache Harry Reams. Um, I know that uh, the lack of a mustache really uh, set you on edge a little bit here. It did. I forgot he didn't have one in Altar of Lust. I was like, where'd it go? 
Yeah, it it, it, it just hadn't uh, really arrived on the scene yet. Yeah. Like I said, we're still figuring stuff out, and mm-hmm. Harry Reams hadn't figured out that he was the mustache guy yet. No. And the, the one thing I like about this one is it is from 1971. Right. So both, like, the modern horror film, um, like, as we kind of know it today, and, like, the porn film were still kind of coming into their own at that point. Right. Like, uh, I can't even think of, like, what kind of, like, Rosemary's Baby came out in 69, which I think has right. some parallels to this a little bit. But, yeah, a little uh, bit. It was just kind of a free-for-all up until, I don't know, the probably the mid-70s as far as, like, what would be in a horror film. Right, right. Um, so that's pretty cool in its way, um, where they try to... It's just experimental. It's fun. Yeah. Um, the other lead in this film uh, is Tina Russell. Uh, Tina Russell is a notable name in some ways. Uh, What'd she do? Well, she was an early pioneer in the world of pornography. Uh, Her and her husband, Jason Russell, were involved in these uh, first few years of the hardcore scene, Mm -hmm. uh, starting by doing stuff like the uh, 16mm stag films, Right. Uh, and, you know, moving on to some hardcore features, you know, as uh, the 70s went on, by the mid-70s, Tina Russell had mostly uh, kind of dropped out of uh, film production. You know, her last credit as an actress was in 76. Her and her husband, Jason, split somewhere in the mid-70s mm-hmm. and... Uh, afterwards uh the kind of general understanding of what happened there based on you know other people in the adult industry was that tina kind of really sunk into alcoholism and eventually she died in 81 at age 32 of uh organ failure most likely brought on by alcoholism no so it was definitely kind of a a sad ending to everything um but Listening to, like, Rialto Report podcasts, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people had very warm and uh, happy memories about Jason and Tina Russell in these early years of their career. This film is interesting in the sense that there are two primary named characters in the film, and the rest are, you know, given very vague names because they're not really fully developed. Uh, Perhaps the, the sorceress, I guess... She's in a lot of it, so maybe mm-hmm. she has a little bit of development. But a lot of them are just kind of just weird people in it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, surreal little scenes, dreams, mm-hmm. you know, as the title hints at. Yeah. You know, again, it's not necessarily the most uh, figured out, the most well laid out film, but it has a lot of ideas. And in an era where we're still kind of figuring out what the porn film is, you know, right. this is a year before deep throat two years before the devil and miss Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, they take a lot of swings here and some of them work. Some of them don't, but it's a very interesting film. And I think that it's a fun thing to kind of get started on our road to spook town. Okay. I'm, I agree with that. All right. So, uh, you want to go ahead and move into the stuff? Oh yeah. Let's get on. All right, so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get right back here with Dark Dreams. Jack, come on, I mean it. 
We've waited three years. We can at least wait till we get to the motel. Besides, it's getting cold in here. Wow. I don't know about you. I just hope you're worth all the waiting. I still figure you've got to be about the only virgin left in the whole world. You always make it sound like some kind of fault or something. It used to mean something when a girl was a virgin when she was married. After all, it's you that I've been waiting for. I really wish it meant something to you. Well, I guess tonight we'll find out just how much it does mean, won't we? We've gotten to the point where uh, we celebrate people not being smart. Or, you know, people who want to stand against people who are educated. Obviously, not every educated person on the planet is really an expert in the way that they claim to be. But the idea that, generally speaking... We shouldn't listen to people who are educated because you know more with your gut than they do is really stupid. Yeah. That's it's why we are where we are. I feel like it's a real dark dream that I wish we could wake up from. You know, you know, there's no way to wake up from this dark dream of reality. So let's get Reality in, is indeed the darkest dream. Let's get into pornography and escape from reality for a while. Yeah, we're gonna start. <laughs> we're gonna start making pornography together to uh, try to work our way out of this hellscape, or at least talk about pornography on a podcast. Definitely, we'll, we'll do that part. <laughs> Us making pornography together, we'll uh, we'll keep that on the back burner. Yeah, well, it's just part of getting our cafe flush up and going. Oh yeah. Uh, if you want to participate in our Cafe Flesh, of course, uh, feel free to send us money. Or, uh, you know, if you want to perform our, at our Cafe Flesh, a, a video would suffice. Uh, and we'll uh, talk about it on air. Yeah. Um, Were you recording again? Uh, yes. Okay, excellent. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Dark Dreams. Okay. So Dark Dreams opens up, and in the background... Um, sound we hear kind of like unintelligible talking it sounds Almost, like a voice like recorded like over a phone a little bit yeah or that or like just like a, a droning voice at like an airport or something right like that. yeah uh you can't really make out what it's saying no. but you could tell it's a voice talking or droning in some way uh we get a close-up of something that's kind of hard to figure out what it is but as it zooms out we kind of see it's a dead fish we pan around some jars on a table and mm -hmm. smoke drifts into the screen. We get a voiceover of a woman who I believe is the sorceress. Mm -hmm. The art of sorcery is thought to be one of the oldest arts known to man. This kind of drones on as a speech about magic being practiced throughout history and today. Yeah. Talk about white or good magic and black or bad magic. We can make a note here that black magic, uh, as a note, consists of uh, lewd and fantastic rites. So it's pretty obvious which one um, is better. Yes. Wouldn't you want something lewd and fantastic versus something not so lewd or fantastic? No. If you're like a white witch, you're just like going around like healing injured animals you find in the forest and like just some bullshit. Yeah. It's not it's not good. It's not fun. It's not fun. Um I mean it's a it's I, I can see it as a positive impact on the world, but I wouldn't say that it's like fun. No. Um 
But on the other hand, you won't ever get fired from a job for practicing white magic. <laughs> That's and true. You might, <laughs> and you may or may not lose one uh, for hexing your co-workers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to practice black magic at work, keep it a secret. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, <laughs> uh, higher-ups in uh, most companies look down on people hexing co-workers. Yeah. But that's only because they don't care about the people. They only care about the bottom line. And if my hex takes someone out, which it did eventually, <laughs> um, that's just, you know, that's just money they're not making. Especially in a call center where you need every warm body you can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as this is going on, <laughs> we see an older woman, the sorceress. She's stirring stuff in a pot and being all witchy. Mm-hmm. Um, she notes that the most receptive targets for sorcery are the young and naive. Mm-hmm. From here, we cut to a shot of trees passing by while we get a percussive track playing. We get the credits, Dark Dreams. Uh, some acoustic guitar kicks in and we get a folky theme song. Yeah, it's a pretty well shot opening yeah. scene. Um Probably one of the better shot scenes in the movie, uh, in my opinion. I could see that. Yeah. Um, we see a young couple driving in a car. In the driver's seat is the teacher, Harry Reams, yes. playing Jack. Yes. Uh, and in the passenger seat is Tina Russell playing Jill. Jack and Jill. Oh, like, um, and they're both played by Adam Sandler, <laughs> actually. <laughs> We should definitely make a remake of Dark Dreams and cast Adam Sandler in both roles. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to work with him. I think that, well, I mean, listen. Okay. I get where you're coming from, but at yeah. the same time, we need to build some financial uh, mm-hmm. backing. If we can get a project off the ground that makes us money, we can then invest that money in more passion projects in the future. Uh, it's kind of like how the Coen brothers yeah. will make like a more commercial movie and right. then they'll make like two or three smaller movies. Right. They'll do like, uh, what's a bigger film from them? Like Raising Arizona or like something? Like No Country for Old Men. Oh, yeah. And then they do like... Like A Serious Man yeah. and stuff. Okay. I get what you're saying. I liked Hail Caesar. Where would you put that one? I feel like that I was kind of a flop. I haven't seen that one. Really? It's good. I should... I, like I... I don't know that I saw any Coen Brothers movies after A Serious Man. I should. Definitely have I seen I like them. all of their movies that I've seen. So. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, so, yeah. Well, you know, Adam Sandler, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, um, we'll make the Dark Dreams remake with you as both Jack and Jill, and mm-hmm. then we'll use that money to finance our Cafe Flesh. Okay. Now I'm back on with the project now. Okay. Uh, but you must pray to the teacher before you begin filming any scenes because that's important to us and our religion. Yeah. And if you don't respect our religion, there will be dire consequences. Now, now Adam Sandler is Jewish, um, which is fine. I love the Jews. I love the Jewish. Harry Reams was Jewish before he converted later in life. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, he's perfect for it then. Yes. All right. But um, uh, what 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 are Jack and Jill getting up to? So Jack and Jill, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, there's 
a snowy ground around them. They're driving through woodsy areas. Uh, Jack puts his arm around Jill in the passenger seat and starts kind of rubbing her tit from over her shoulder. Right. Uh, he unbuttons her shirt a little bit and starts to reach his hand in, but she kind of pulls his hand out and buttons her shirt and then pulls his hand off of her boob and scoots back over. We see the car is dragging cans and has a Just Married sign on the back. Okay. Jack stops the car on a side road and gets out and cuts the can uh, rope off the back. He gets back in the car, and we see him start unbuttoning Jill's shirt as yeah. he makes out with her. I'm glad he pulled over before he tried to do all this. Yeah. It's uh, dangerous to... Uh... Road sex is just a risky proposition. Have you uh, spent much time road sexing? A few times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm usually the driver, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I've... like, he's kind of jerking around the road. Yeah, I've gotten road head and road hand before. Uh, and both times I'm just like, oh, God, I hope I don't crash. I hope I don't crash. Yeah. I'm thinking about that more than anything else. <laughs> so he practices road safety and pulls over, though. Yeah, that's very smart. The teacher knows what he's doing. He does. So he pulls out Jill's breasts and starts fondling it. Um, we get, like, a cutaway to... Uh, a scene of Jack and another woman naked in bed making out, and then smash cuts back to them in the car. Like, it's just like a few seconds. Mm -hmm. We get a few of these cut cutaways, and we'll see more of these scenes later on. Mm -hmm. um, Jill notes that they're married, and they don't have to make out in the car anymore. Jack's still trying to go for it, but she tells him that they've waited three years. They can wait until they make it to a hotel. She notes that it's getting cold in there. Um, you know, it's snowy outside. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Jack's kind of whining here <laughs> about how he hopes she was worth waiting for. Right. And says that she must be the only virgin left in the world. So that's a, that's important. That's a little hard trope there. If I know anything about these movies... Uh, her being a virgin is, uh, she's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Jack's being a real bitch about this. He is. He really is in this scene. Um, she talks about how it used to be a good thing that women were still virgins when they were married. Jack says he guesses he'll figure out tonight how much it means. Um, then we get a cutaway shot quickly of some close-up penetration. And then we cut back to the car and Jack drives away. We get some more folky, kind of rockish, folk rockish music as they continue through the wooded area. The car comes to a stop and Jack gets out. He walks to the passenger side and says, damn. He says that they have a flat. Mm -hmm. They do not have a flat. No. <laughs> uh, he gets into the trunk to look for the requisite stuff, the spare, the jack and all that. But he starts cursing and yelling about there's no spare and says that Eddie remembered the champagne but didn't remember the spare. Uh, Jill has gotten out and joined him by the trunk at this point. She urges him not to be so upset and suggests that they go to the house that's nearby to see if they can use the phone. Jack says he'll call Eddie to bring a spare because it's the least he could do. Yeah. Fucking Eddie. Yeah, Eddie. Um... 
I assume Eddie was the best man. Perhaps. Um, perhaps. Uh, typically, though, I don't think it's a best man's responsibility to make sure you have a spare. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Eddie's the person who gave him the car. No. Who knows? I don't know. We never get to meet Eddie, so... He packed them champagne, but not a spare. I don't know what, like, what role... What person has that role in your life? The best man. Okay, I guess so. But perhaps he's the worst man, since he didn't pack a goddamn spare. (laughs) Oh, yes. They start walking towards a house, and... As they're walking towards it, the camera slowly zooms into a close-up of the top of the house as they're walking in, and they knock on the door out of the frame. We cut back to them in front of the door, and they mentioned uh, that maybe there's nobody home. The door knocker on the door is like a weird... It's a little hand. Like, it's a hand, but there's like a head above it that's like a cat or a demon or something weird. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's like a fist... Uh, I have a door knocker on my apartment door. Oh, yeah? Um, But it's quite small. Like, you'd have to, like, stick, like, one finger into it and then tap it very gently. Right. But really, it doesn't matter because my entire door is made of panes of glass. (laughs) So, like, just just knock on that. And also, there's a peephole. But once again, the door is made of glass. (laughs) Uh, It's a poorly designed door. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody was like, we should put uh, we should put peepholes and door knockers on these doors, which would make sense if it wasn't that case. Right, yeah, no, it's, um, it's 90% glass, <laughs> and I've already broke one of the panes. So, Jill mentions it's probably good that nobody answers. What if it was an old lady who answered, but it wasn't an old lady, it was a witch. Just Ooh. as she's saying this. A woman opens the door, an older lady. Uh, She is the woman that we saw in the first scene, the sorceress. Oh, so she is a witch. She is, but they don't know that. They're just speculating. Uh, Jill says she thought nobody was home, but the sorceress asks why they knocked if they thought nobody was home, which seems like a valid question. Yeah. Um, She invites them in. Jack talks about being cold and tells her about the flat tire and asks to use her phone. Uh, she He asked her if she has a spare tire, which is an odd thing to ask somebody, I yeah. feel like. Um, she says she doesn't, but she lets him use her phone. Um, the sorceress asks if Jill wants tea, and uh, she offers to make her tea, and she accepts. Uh, Jack calls Eddie and gives him the business about not packing the spare. Yeah. Um, But Eddie is apparently coming right over to deliver the spare, so all should be fine, right? You think so. You Um, would think so. I wonder if Eddie ever showed up. Uh, We get no indication that he did. Uh, And I'm not sure what happened at the end anyway, so we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) Okay. Um, We cut to Jill sitting in the living room of the place in a chair. Jack walks in and asks where the woman is, uh, the sorceress. Uh, Again, they don't know her to be the sorceress, but that's her character name. That's why I keep referring to her as that. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jill tells him she's making them tea, so we see her in the other room stirring a pot, and then we fade into a close-up shot of missionary sex from behind, all bouncing balls and hairy butthole. A lot of oily 
visions of oiled bodies. Yeah. Uh, and let's say I mentioned Rosemary's Baby earlier, but I think it's kind of like a similar like plot beat because I think uh, like the neighbor is playing uh, Mia Farrow with some kind of like uh, herb lace tea that gives her bizarre nightmares. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that was probably like the. Like one of the bigger horror films at the time, so I'm not really surprised that they took a couple of ideas from that. Yeah. Um, but it's also just, I guess, general witchcraft. Right. So. Have you ever seen Repulsion? Yes. It's an excellent film. It is an, I like it more than Rosemary's Baby. Yes. I would agree with that. It, it happens to be a little bit shorter, which always helps. Yeah, yeah. But uh, as far as like psychological terror, I think it's on a, a, a higher level than I that. Like- I like like all the weird stuff where like the uh, walls in the apartment keep cracking and stuff yeah. like that. It's it's got these like little details that are really cool. Yeah, Repulsion is excellent. Um, and Roman Polanski's a terrible person. He is, but he has made several great films. Yeah, it's tough to square it, but I would probably prefer to watch Repulsion than not watch it. Yeah, I think that like in the world. It's okay to say that something somebody said is good and also that they're terrible. As long as you're willing to accept that they're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. We'll accept that Roman Polanski's terrible. We do not want him as a guest on this show. Yeah. So, um, we cut back to the living room and the sorceress brings tea for both Jack and Jill and Jack thanks her. And they kind of awkwardly sit as the sorceress is watching them drinking and nodding her head repeatedly. (laughs) Um, there's just kind of silence and a clock ticking in the room as this is going on. It's really creepy. Yeah. And then that's it for the plot. (laughs) (laughs) So we see a blurry shot of Jill as the sorceress is nodding away and Jack sits his tea down and then we get some POV shots that from his perspective that are kind of blurry. Then we get uh, some cutaway shots of Jack with the quote unquote black girl. Uh Uh-huh. Which is the character's name in this film. Oh, yeah. Some shots of them touching each other all oily and then her blowing him. Mm-hmm. Then we cut back to the sorceress watching them in the living room. Jack's rubbing his eyes and he sees the sorceress transform into a younger version of herself played by Susie Mann. Uh, Jill kind of passes out in her chair there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so the... Younger version of the sorceress walks towards Jack, takes his hand, and leads him up these weird green carpeted stairs. Mm -hmm. She's wearing this yellow robe, and Jack's still wearing a gray suit. Um, We cut to a shot of a creepy dude in a black robe with a weird symbol on his forehead. Right, which I pointed out to you um, through text when I was watching it. That's the, to describe it, it's kind of like, three little like arms like radiating off like a circle but that's exactly the thing you used to play a 45 on a turntable yeah um so i don't know what kind of cult they're in right yeah i i noticed that like the symbol itself looked familiar to me but i couldn't place it but then when you said that i was like aha that's what it is exactly yeah that's exactly what it is and it makes sense for the 70s that would be something that people see a lot because we're still deep in the record era yeah uh, it's pretty cool. I like that as the symbol. You know, mm. if they're going to steal some sort of symbol. Right. It's it's more creative than just like having like a pentagram on your forehead or yeah, yeah. whatever. Plus, people were scared when you put stuff on your forehead in 71. It just reminded them of Manson. That's true. That was still yeah. pretty fresh. Yeah. 
Have you seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Not yet. Is it good? Do you, you do you like Quentin Tarantino stuff? I, I like it. Uh, yeah, on a, yeah. I enjoy most of his. Uh, I haven't seen like the last couple films he's done. I think the last thing I saw of his was probably Death Proof. So it's been a okay. while. But so I you like, haven't seen Inglorious Bastards? No. Okay. okay. I haven't. I still haven't gotten around to watching The Hateful Eight or Django Unchained. Yeah. Um, I did see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and obviously I brought that up because there's a Charlie Manson plot line in it. Right. Uh, I think you should watch it. It's I liked it a lot. Okay, I'll definitely have to check it out because I know that there's a whole Manson Sharon Tate thing in it, and I'm always interested in that stuff. So, right. um, like if you were the type of person to just like. Like, there are some people that just loathe Quentin Tarantino, and if you were that type of person, you might hate it, but, yeah. like, otherwise, I, I, it's, you should watch it. It's okay. Good. I think he's good. I don't, I think he's maybe a little overhyped in general, but, uh, I think there's usually a good reason for the hype. Yeah. I, I really like his stuff. Um, but, again, like I said, I, there's two of his movies I still haven't even right. seen, so, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean to. I will eventually. But yeah. Uh, I know you will. I, 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 just talking about Manson made me think of that. And yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, about Manson all day. All day Manson day. It's all day. We're Manson podcast now. Um, when we're both unemployed, we'll spend all day talking about Charles Manson and up, start uploading eight hour podcasts every day <laughs> <laughs> where we talk about Charles Manson. We're really going to dig deep into that whole scene have you ever like like there's a wikipedia page where mm-hmm. it goes through like all of the things that charles manson said about like the beatles white album and how it was like coded messages to him and his crew yeah i've read some of that um <laughs> it's, it's read, really good yeah i read helter skelter when i was like 13 yeah yeah and my dad was real mad about it <laughs> um so i'm pretty familiar with a lot of that stuff uh there's another pretty good book I read recently uh, called Chaos that's uh-huh. also about the Manson murders, but it gets a bit more out there, like uh, kind of alleging that people knew who had done like the murders like almost immediately because they'd been like surveilling him and he might have been like a CIA asset mm-hmm. and uh, just all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, it is a fascinating rabbit hole. Definitely, if you like true crime, check out Chaos by Tom O'Neill. So this is a true crime porno podcast. Um, something I th- I don't think that I brought this up to you. Mm-hmm. Remember how I guess maybe it was last week or the week before we watched uh, Satan Sadist together. Yeah, that was filmed at the Spawn Ranch while the Manson family was there. Oh, that's awesome! I did not know that. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, uh, I uh, I had read that like as we were starting the film. But I forgot to say something to you about it because that's that's just an extra little yeah that thing. adds like another little layer on already like a film that's kind of uncomfortable at times. I think one of the Manson girls like had like a like a background role in that at some okay. point. That's cool. I'll have to <laughs> dive into that and find out. But um, let's go back to sleep and think of our dark dreams. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot we were talking about a movie, <laughs> a different movie yeah. than the like four movies we just right. talked about. Yeah, check out pretty much any of the movies we talk about because we have great taste. Uh, yeah, we're the best. <laughs>
Um, so yeah, we get the shot of the dude with the 45 adapter on his forehead, followed by a shot of Jill still sleeping. Uh, we cut back to Jack and the young sorceress. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack's shirt is taken off, and he unzips and pulls down his pants. He's wearing these yellow boxers, which I don't think are very uh, uh, aesthetically pleasing, but it's 71, you know. Yeah. Tastes change over time. Perhaps these were more... uh, They're cutting edge at the time. Yeah. Much like the green carpet that's on the stairs. Oh, yeah. Um, They kiss a bit, and uh, they slide down his yellow boxers. He helps her take her robe off, sliding it over her head. Uh, and then she strokes his dong a bit and then stands up as they make out. And then they lay on the bed. Um, we cut back to the guy in the black robe with the symbol on his head. He carries Jill up the same stairs that Jack and the sorceress just went up. Yeah. Uh, and carries her into another room, laying her on the bed. Uh, back to Jack and the sorceress. They're naked and making out on the bed. She works her way, kissing down his body, and then starts blowing him. Yeah. Uh, and I'm supposed to be focused on the sex here, but that bookcase is empty, and that really offends me. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. And I was like, guys can fill that up. It's just being a bad host if you don't give your guests something to read. <laughs> um, but another note about this scene, and pretty much from here on out, is the music goes absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, the music is provided by the pet rebelo band interesting yeah they were listed in the credits um i don't think there's anyone named pet rebelo in the band right but um it's a lot of theremins and like wind chimes and like synthesizers and stuff and yeah some of the stuff is kind of synthy almost pink floydy but then like there's this other stuff that there's like almost obnoxious levels of theremins and like uh uh, acapella like it sounds mouth like a sounds. man yeah like scatting that they kind of like put some like reverb or something i was like yeah uh it's not as bad as the music from pulsating flesh i enjoy this because i just like weirdo sound collage type stuff like uh i was playing you some nurse with wound at the beginning yeah yeah of the show and it's kind of like that so um yeah there's a there's a film called Fantasex that's mm-hmm. a Roberta Findlay Cecil Howard production. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of that sort of uh, weird surreal mouth sound music too. Mm-hmm. It um, I feel like it gets almost obnoxious in that film um, because they also kind of like they they're also putting like sex sounds over it um, in post in the same sort of way. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of odd. We'll probably cover it on the show at some point. It's still, like, kind of a cool film. And, you know, Roberta Findlay is a a friend of the podcast. Uh, Not that she knows us or we know her, but, you know, we've covered one of her films and we feel like she's an important person in the history of pornography. And we used to date. (laughs) 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 The Black... The black-robed man carries Jill away. Uh, so we had cut back from that to okay. Jack and the Sorceress. That's right. She starts blowing him. She's starting by, like, really slowly licking it, just barely. She's really giving a lot of attention to detail here. 
it's a good technique to really tease it a bit before you get like really into it. Right. You know, just uh, give it some subtle work and then uh, give it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, the music's really spacey here. Uh, it's a little more bluesy here. It's less mouthy and surreal than it gets later. I feel like most of the scenes with the. Um jill are more focused on the weird music because she has the weirdest stuff happen to her right um we cut to a shot of a candle lighting another candle and we zoom out to see the black robed guy lighting a bunch of candles with a candle uh again like we just mentioned there's trippier music with more theremin and like these bells ringing yeah uh he unbuttons jill's blouse uh she's still laying in the bed kind of unconscious um we then cut to see the older sorceress stirring stuff again um and then we see a woman undressing another kind of randomly and then back to the dude undressing the sleeping jill Mm -hmm. he's fondling her titties uh, the black robe guy doesn't do any hardcore sex here, but he fondles Jill's titties a lot in this movie. Yeah. Um, we cut and see Jill in bed with another woman who's touching all over her uh, before she begins to go down on her. Uh, as this is going down, the robe dude is f- still fondling, sleeping, passed out Jill. And we cut... Between that and also to uh, Jack and the young sorceress kissing and grinding each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of back and forth between these you know, three a of, things. A lot of intercut stuff. So we have Jack and the young sorceress. Then we have Jill in a dream with another woman. And then also Jill asleep in, I guess, reality with the robed man. Yes. Just fondling her mm-hmm. as she's sleeping. Right. As Jill's uh, with the young sorceress, he runs his hand down her butt, and we see the same symbol on her butt that was on the black robe dude's head, the 45 adapter. Oh, they're all in it together. Cutaways from that also to the sorceress stirring shit, the old version of the sorceress. We see a close-up of Jack's dong, and we see some white stuff on his leg. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, because I was like, is this supposed to be fake cum or something? But yeah. later on, we actually see that this is a cutaway from a later sex scene. It's all very confusing. Yeah, it's uh, it's nonlinear. You also see Harry Reem's Harry Rim at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the robe dude's a real sleepy girl fondler. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's really going at it. But she's still having her lesbian dream. We get a quick shot of Jill being held down by like three dudes, uh, which we'll see in full form later, much right. like some a lot of the cutaways. Mm-hmm. But we cut back to the robe dude rubbing on her. Uh, we cut to Jack and the young sorceress again, and then we finally see him penetrate her vagina. Mm-hmm. So the woman that he is with the young sorceress here is played by Susie Mann. However, according to the Internet Adult Film Database, Mm -hmm. the actual penetration shot was not of her. It was actually of Laura Cannon, who is in another sex scene later. Um, So so sick of all these body doubles. (laughs) 
But uh, Jack's plowing away at her. There's a lot of organ and drums. Uh, we cut back to Jill, and she's in bed topless. Um, we get a POV shot. Something panting. Uh, yeah, we hear something panting here. Oh, and wait. then we get a POV shot on the floor of something approaching the bed. As it's approaching the bed, it climbs up, and then it looks up her dress. And then we hear Jill moaning, and she sits up. And then we see a dog run out of the room. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, there's some implied bestiality. Have we had that in the other films? I don't think so. I'm trying to think. Um, I can't think off the top of my head. I don't think any of them have quite... I mean... I guess technically in Thundercrack, that gorilla gives him a hand job. Oh, yeah. But. And then something happens between being in the gorilla at the very end. Yeah. Okay. So this is the second time we've had bestiality on this show, but <laughs> the first time with potentially a real animal. Right. Not, um, a, not a man in a gorilla costume. Right. Um, but again, this is, there. there's no actual scene of a, a dog going down on her or something. Mm. Just some implications. Yeah. But, uh, you know, eventually we'll cover a man well in America and we'll get something a little more explicit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, was that... Which one did... Who did was that... Uh, who did man, a man well in America? It's Joe Diamato. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Joe Diamato's a pervert. Yes, he is. Jill gets up and puts her shirt on, then runs into some dude in an undershirt with a green face paint pattern on his face. Um, it's... It's that weird symbol from earlier, but it's surrounded by, like, green and some other stuff. Yeah. Uh, he pulls her shirt back off, even though she just put it back on, and they start kissing. The scene transitions to them kissing in a shower. Uh, they did have the shower on the whole time in this shower scene, and I know that that's important to you in a film. Yeah, it's very important. Uh, but yes, uh, there was actual shower. They're rubbing all over each other, and they're kissing. As they're having fun, uh, a bald dude with the symbol in red on his face walks up and stands outside the shower, uh, watching them and startling them. Uh, he takes Jill's hand and walks her out of the shower. He then ties her arms behind her back. Yeah, the guy seemed really bummed when, bummed when he took her away. I don't blame him. He looks quite sad. I would be pissed off, too. Um, at this point in my notes, though, I didn't realize her name was Jill, so I just wrote Betty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, he ties her arm around her back, but she still has, like, a towel around her. Yeah. Um, at this point, the music gets super acapella, a bunch of mouth sounds, a bunch of... Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, we then see a woman rubbing all over Jill as she's still tied up. This is the girl in blue played by Darby Lloyd Rains. Okay. Um, we then cut to Jack. He walks up to a random door in the house and peeks through the crack. Uh, and then we see this woman in green belly dancing, uh, which is apparently played by Arlana Blue. Okay. Um, as she's dancing, she reveals her breasts and some faux Indian music plays. Right. Uh, there's definitely some cultural appropriation going on here. This is the second time we've seen um, 
here he reams like enticed by like a belly dancer you're right because in the altar of lust yeah. this happened as well yeah cause... when she goes off to become a lesbian he just has to console himself with this belly dancing woman yeah um there's lots of titty bouncing as she's dancing but after a while jack comes wandering down the steps with his shirt still unbuttoned and he's calling for jill he walks into the living room and finds that she's not there uh, he goes back to his tea and sniffs it. The sorceress then appears suddenly across the room and asks him if she's really worth it. She tells him that Jill isn't looking for him. She says he shouldn't limit himself to such an ordinary woman as his wife. Right. She explains that he could have a thousand women every night, each more willing and beautiful than the last. All he'd have to do is to give us, as she says, yeah. your wife. Okay. Do you think they just want her because she's a virgin? Um, I think that, that that's probably a part of it, yeah. yeah they don't. Um, and this is another thing that's kind of a Rosemary's baby-ish kind of thing, where, like, because the, was it John Castavetes plays the husband in that? John Castavetes, yeah. Cassav- yeah, yeah. Uh, I he kind of so, yeah. yeah, he kind of trades uh, Mia Farrow's like first baby for like fame. Yeah, yeah. So he gets that same kind of like Faustian bargain sort of thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. Jack tells her that he loves Jill, but the sorceress says that Jill's cold and frigid mm-hmm. as she's refused the same carnal pleasures that Jack has enjoyed. We cut back to Jill restrained while the woman in blue's touching on her. She unties Jill's hands and starts undressing herself. She's then nude in just black thigh highs. Um, At this point, there's what I felt was an annoying background sound, like somebody fighting with a bag of ruffles that's been taped shut (laughs) uh, while somebody else is making awkward acapella noises. Maybe they have, like, maracas and acapella. (laughs) So, uh... The woman in blue fights to remove Jill's towel and starts caressing her, but Jill keeps pushing her away. Cut back to the sorceress. She says he can commit himself and his wife to them and accept the sign as a covenant. She says it's a little thing to ask, but Jack's not going for it, so she asks him to have more tea and see if it changes his mind. I would stop drinking the tea at this yeah, point. For, for some reason, <laughs> he's decided to drink more. Yeah. Uh, this seems like a bad idea. Oh, definitely. Um, so we see him get up and walk out of the room with a smile on his face because he's full of delusion tea. Mm. Um, and But when he walks away, the sorceress is already gone. Just blinked out of existence. Jill and the woman in blue, who's no longer in blue because she's naked, um, they're naked together. Jill is still somewhat fighting, but not as hard as she was at first. Right. Um, The woman starts fingering Jill. She's not really fighting this. Um, She starts going down on Jill and kissing all over her, making out and more. Um, Jack walks into another room. And sees a girl with a bucket of whipped cream, who's played by Laura Cannon, who was the body double from the earlier scene. Right. And um, that's our white stuff. Yeah, that's our white stuff from that earlier shot. So he gets on the bed and they play with the whipped cream, eating some, dabbing bits on each other, licking it off, smiling, etc. They're having fun. 
Um, she's naked, and he's in his dress pants and uh, his open button-up shirt. Mm-hmm. Jack gets up for a moment as she keeps licking the whipped cream, and he gets back in bed. This time he's naked. Um, we get that same shot from earlier with the white stuff on Jack's leg. It was whipped cream from this later scene. Uh, it just was a cutaway that made you confuse. Uh, we see the whipped cream woman start stroking his dong, and he's got whipped cream all over his leg. Um, he's rubbing all over her, and then she leans over and starts blowing him. He keeps rubbing on her body, and she gets up, and they shift around a bit. Uh, he kisses on her a bit and rubs her vagina, and he finally mounts her and starts fucking her missionary. Uh, we get some, like, jazzy, organy rock music. Yeah, mm, jazz funk blowjob was my note. <laughs> <laughs> they keep at this for a while, and finally he seems to climax inside of her. Um, oh, yeah, you get more shots of his hairy, hairy taint. Yeah, this there's a lot of uh, hairy ass and butthole. Uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think... Um, I f- feel like he might have done a little manscaping for Altar of Lust. I don't remember him being quite so hairy in that one. I think yeah. he, he... It's, it's kind of weird because, like... And, I mean, you know, this is how people's body hair works sometimes. But, like, his upper half isn't really super hairy. Yeah. But his uh, his ass is super hairy in this one. He's like a satyr. Um, Stephanie noted that he... It was, it was too much for her. That's fair. Um, but, you know... It's the early 70s. We're still figuring it out. Don't worry, folks. I'm okay. (laughs) Jeremy stood up and almost fell down. My leg fell asleep. And I'm a little drunk. It's a combination. Uh, Okay. Uh, He said that his leg fell asleep and he's a little drunk, so that's what happened. So. The long-ass hair. That's probably one of mine. It's not one of your ass hairs. Uh, my ass hairs aren't as long as Harry's. <laughs> so we cut to Jill walking into the hallway in a towel. She catches a glimpse of the bald guy coming up the stairs and hides in another room. She stops to scan the room and catches eyes with the dude in the black robe. She seems to freeze and he puts his hand in front of her face and runs it down her chest and she's just frozen. Uh, We cut to the sorceress mixing potions or whatever again, and then back to the black-robed dude. We then cut to see the, as she's credited, black girl on the bed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I noted it earlier, but this is played by June Dulu. Okay. I think you said her title is black girl, but I don't think you gave her name yet, so good, good on you. Okay. Well, it's June Dulu. Who plays Black Girl. Uh, Jack leans over her, and she has some sort of jar of oil. She pours a little bit of it into his hand as he climbs into the bed. He starts rubbing it on her and kissing her. Uh, He undresses as the two caress one another. She starts to oil up his back as he's on top of her, and they continue to oil each other up. We cut from there back to Jill, and she's still staring off blankly, completely frozen. The guy in the row pulls up this white, roughly dress onto her. It's like a Victorian bedsheet. Right. Yeah, Uh, I think think, it's a wedding dress. Yeah, I think it's her, like, devil wedding dress. Yeah. She's getting Um, 
Just a devil wedding dress. Yeah. Just cut back for a second. I think the black girls relate related to Lisa Delu of uh, Dixie Ray Hollywood star. Um, I assume probably not. Is spelled D U L U. Okay. Uh, it's not like D E L E O U W or whatever it's it is. D E L E E U W. Yeah, it's spelled completely differently for what it's worth. Okay, well, maybe but they're not. they might be related. Yeah. Who knows? I Who mean, knows? neither are probably their real names. Oh, yeah. But, uh, we get another cutaway to the sorceress stirring her pot and back to Jill and the guy in the robe. He's kind of circling her as she's got this white ruffly dress on uh, and cut back to Jack and the black girl. Uh, they're rubbing hands on one another and rubbing oil. Uh, we keep cutting back and forth between this and Jill. Uh, the black girl wraps a weird silk cloth around Jack's penis and blows him a bit and then takes it off and blows him again. Um, she starts to really deep throat it. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of weird shots. And eventually she gets on top of him, cowgirl, and he penetrates her as they continue to rub each other down. Um, the black-robed guy puts a veil over Jill's head and starts leading her ahead to something. Uh, at this point, Jack seems to just, like, have a moment where he realizes something's going on or something. Perhaps he's been drugged. Uh, he gets off the bed and seems to kind of dart away. Uh, as he's doing that, we see the black girl has that symbol on her as well. We see Jill in the wedding dress get up, and then the girl in blue and the bald guy undress her and pull her onto the floor, and then the girl with the whipped cream from earlier helps hold her down, and then we see Jack come in, and he starts to fuck her. Um, We don't see penetration, because I don't think... uh, I couldn't tell if this was... If it was a, just a, a vaginal penetration or an anal penetration because of the angle. Right. But it looked like he was cut riding kind of high, so could have yeah. been. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like Tina Russell did any actual hardcore sex in this film. Yeah, so her butt's not on the line. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he kind of mounts her at that point, And the black girl comes up from behind and starts rubbing him <laughs> down with oil again as he was. Or as she was. Uh, then we get a cut, sudden cut from that back to Jack and Jill at the front door of the sorceress's house. What the fuck? Knocking on the door, as they were earlier in the film. As the old woman opens up the door uh, when Jill gives the line about how it could be a witch there, Jill gasps at her like she did earlier, and then we get a freeze frame on her face. And then we get credits over that freeze frame uh, as the picture is tinted different colors each time the text on the screen changes. Yeah. And uh, that was Dark Dreams. That was the Dark Dream. So, uh, yeah. What a film. What a film indeed. Yeah. All right, so let's take a quick break here and then we'll come back to give our thoughts on Dark Dreams. Thoughts and apologies. <laughs> <laughs>
Shut up. Give me 15 minutes. <laughs> I'll come kick your ass. <laughs> All right. All right, so we're back on here to talk uh, and give our final thoughts on Dark Dreams. So, as is tradition, as the teacher has declared and uh, made official, we will go ahead and turn things over to our resident reviewer, Jeremy. Jeremy, what do you think about Dark Dreams? I think uh, beer just dripped out of my nose. Hold up. Uh, I had a very visceral, visceral reaction. I almost threw up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to say, uh, it's on me for picking this one. I kind of <laughs> thought it would be uh, a little bit better than it was. I got to say, uh, it's like you would normally say. It's an interesting film, but I think it's... Um, one that's not without its flaws. And sure. one of those is definitely the weakness of the narrative. Yeah. Um, it definitely goes more in for uh, the sex than the horror. Right. On this one. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, th- I thought there would be uh, maybe just a little bit more expansion on the nature of the devil cult and like their ultimate aims. Right. And you kind of get some of that through what happens. It seems like they're trying to wed her to... God knows what, but then that's all undermined in the last like 30 seconds of the movie by it being possibly a dream. Right. Which I find to be a cop out. Right. Um, so with the loose narrative um, and the just general kind of nonsense of the plot, it I, I had some trouble uh, holding my attention a little bit. Okay. Um, I thought there were good things in it. Um uh, like, I like the introduction. Um, I love the bizarre music. Yeah. Um, which is one of those things I can kind of always say about these movies is that they usually do have some kind of interesting soundtrack. Unless it's pulsating flesh. Unless it's pulsating flesh. Uh, <clears throat> overall, though, uh, I don't know if it was the best one to uh, start our five weeks of fright on, but maybe it was just to kind of get it out of the way and keep moving. Um Hey, it's only going to get better from here, probably. It really is. The ones we have lined up, I think, will be more to my taste. I don't know. We got one or two that I haven't seen yet, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Dark but Dreams. Probably. Dark Dreams, I would give a two. Um, if I'm feeling generous, maybe like a 2.5. But like I said, it had some I had trouble keeping my attention focused. Um, just because of the... the the non-linearity of the narrative yeah. sort of, uh, I think you just kind of end up more lost trying to figure out exactly what's happening at any given moment than you should. Right. Um, don't check it out. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I would, I would agree with the two and a half rating probably. Yeah. Um, I think that this film has, it definitely has a problem when it comes to narrative because, like, when it starts out, the narrative's really there. And yeah. I know that, like, for example, me, I take a lot of notes, as you could probably tell from me doing these rundowns of mm-hmm. the film. And at the very beginning of the film, I found myself pausing to type stuff a whole lot. And, you know, I was like, God, this is going to take me forever to get right. through. But once we got through the first, like, 20 minutes or so of the film, 
then I didn't really need to pause anymore no, because there just, wasn't like a whole lot going on other than, you know, the sex scenes and stuff. And of course, I took notes throughout and all of that, but right. there wasn't like a whole lot of like narrative lines to keep track of and stuff like that. Um, but I think that it's important to keep in context, you know, when this was made and everything, you know. Right. Because um, like we said at the beginning, it's real early on, so they're still figuring stuff out. Which right. Is why I would probably lean more to a 2.5, because I don't want to hold that against them. Right. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, the time frame doesn't make the movie better or worse, but it's important to understand it when it comes to trying to at least critique the filmmaking part right. of it. Um when I think about adult films, I really think a lot about pre-Deep Throat and post-Deep Throat. And yeah. perhaps that's not completely fair because there's probably stuff that was made before Deep Throat that was a lot more well thought out and mm -hmm. stuff after Deep Throat that was less thought out. But Deep Throat is kind of like a milestone in the filmmaking as far as, you know, at least the popular... Um, opinion of these films right and I think um deep throats kind of it's kind of bare in a lot of ways and again we'll we'll touch on it eventually yeah. we'll we'll cover it on the show but um it's you know it's only 60 minutes long and i can't say that the plot is very deep or anything but it was kind of the starting point for these films being kind of fully fleshed out experiences right and i would definitely say that like the devil and miss jones the following year is kind of like where the films are like really solid right where they finally kind of hit that right mix of narrative and sex to right to kind of appeal more to like a mainstream audience that started to see these things at that point right um but yeah you know as you said in 1971 we're we're just kind of figuring all this stuff out um you know harry reams is in it he's he's great he's mm -hmm. the teacher but we're still kind of figuring stuff out like for example we talked about like there was a shot of missionary sex, and you see Harry's hairy ass the whole time. Uh -huh. um, the The actual like angle that they use for that and all of that probably wouldn't have been used later on in later years. Yeah. Um, you know, we're still figuring out what a sex film looks like and all of that. But all of that being said, you know, there's some things working against it, but there's still some cool stuff. I do appreciate that it's still like the story of like some sort of weird occult thing happening mm -hmm. um at the end she's perhaps getting like married to the devil or something weird like that it uh, it's seems kinda like late. that's kind of where they were going you know and, it's not really explicit what's happening but right and i think they could have i think uh, you know if, even if like the harry that had penetrated had turned into the devil that would have been a more satisfying ending than for sure it being like a fake out Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff wrong with it and uh, there's a lot of stuff to criticize. Uh, I generally like I didn't really get bored with it. I could see you getting a little bit. But mm. like at the end of the day, it was interesting because if you put yourself in the mindset of the time, it's a lot of people trying to figure everything out. Yeah. It's a time in history where, you know, we're at the we're at the end of the hippie era going into the more spacey 70s era mm -hmm. and we get a lot of uh more surreal pop culture stuff happening and um you know i think that this is reflective of that this is reflective of the more sexual uh focus of films of the time frame mm -hmm. both in hardcore sex films but also in 
you know, stuff like horror films and other exploitation cinema. Uh, this is reflective of all of that, but it's also kind of, as I've said before, kind of shows itself as being kind of a, a trial run for all those things that would be much better later. Um, all of that being said, you know, I think that 2.5 out of 5 is probably a solid point for it. Um, it's got some stuff going for it. It's got some stuff going against it. So, you know, it's like halfway there. That's in between. Um, but I think that as we continue through our five weeks of fright, you know, boners beware, you're in for a scare. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to be able to touch on some more delightful films along the way. Yeah, and definitely kind of see like how the horror porn subgenre develops a little bit and kind of branches out from things like this right yeah i mean there's going to be a lot of uh there's definitely going to be a week where we do a double feature where maybe the films aren't necessarily a whole lot better than this but i think that they're going to be weird enough to be uh maybe more notable in some ways certainly one of them will be unlike anything you've ever seen before (laughs) But uh, we've also got at least one or two productions that are, like, really high-quality stuff that... uh, Right. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, we don't normally talk about it, like, the episodes we're going to do. Right. But uh, if you like Jamie Gillis, you're going to be excited. Yes, you're going to have a great scary boner for Jamie Gillis. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, any final thoughts on... uh, dark dreams don't drink anything a witch offers you yeah i think that that's the biggest mistake that the teacher made here was uh not only taking a a drink of what the sorceress offered him but after taking a drink of what the sorceress offered him going back going through yeah going (laughs) through a weird surreal psychosexual experience and then after she tries to talk him into leaving his wife then going back for more god He really dropped the ball on this one, and so did I. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, though, you know, it's early. It's early in the teacher's career. He definitely learned from the experience, as we can see. You know, just two years later in The Mm -hmm. Devil and Miss Jones, he's become full-on teacher. He surpassed the sorceress as a being of great power. Exactly. Oh, let me note that Dark Dreams was released on DVD by Vinegar Syndrome. And uh, it's definitely... You know, if you're interested in it, that's the way to look at it. It's a good restoration of the film, regardless of what you think of the film itself. Was it on a double pack, or was it just on its own? It was on its own. Okay. Um, And I think the only special feature was the theatrical trailer itself. But, uh, you know, if you're into it, it's a a well-made restoration, if nothing else. Yeah, it looks good. As always... Uh, You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Raincoat Report. If you want to send us an email or send us money to fund our Cafe Flesh, uh, raincoatreport at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Tell a friend. Get them to listen to us. We need to build our Raincoat Report army. We're going to take over. Uh, We're going to go to Washington, D.C. and demand that Jeremy be pardoned for his uh legal woes yeah and uh we're gonna we're gonna take over guys we're taking over guys and gals mutants and mutets yeah mutants and mutets we're taking over 
boils and ghouls. <laughs> That's the Crypt Keeper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not great. I'm no you, John Kassir. Yeah, I mean, there's only one. Yeah. There could be only one. There was only one. Yeah. All right, so on that note, for Jeremy, this is Boss. Thanking you once again for helping us keep 42nd Street alive. And when you're down there on 42nd Street, creeping in those little dirty theaters with the sticky floors, don't forget your raincoat. Oh, well, it was probably all for the best anyway. What if an old lady had answered the door, only she really wasn't an old lady at all, but a witch? Ah! <laughs>